These military families that are mainly over at the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, Miramar, are young families. They're away from their own families, and you know, having a baby can be a little bit of a daunting experience. So we provide baskets for these families. The baby baskets are comprised of a lot of different little baby items. We have baby gowns, little onesies, little booties. We have the normal things like baby wipes or baby powder, baby lotion. And we try and give these baby baskets out every month. So it's wonderful to be able to stand in that gap for a moment to be able to donate that sort of thing to them. And they're so appreciative. The idea that others would care and have compassion, that's what Jesus wants us to be, is compassionate. We respect our service members so much because of what they do for our country, the sacrifices that they make, that we want to be able to give back. They are our neighbors, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to bless them and to encourage them and let them know that there are people who do love them and care for them. Today we are celebrating Pentecost, and Pentecost has a rich, rich tradition. Uh, we know Pentecost as the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Uh, Pentecost was uh, a celebration before the Holy Spirit was poured out on those believers on that day. And the reason they were together is that Pentecost is uh, a spring feast, uh, 49 days plus one after Passover. Uh, it's Shavuot, seven sevens, uh, seven weeks following Passover. Uh, there's a celebration about the wheat harvest. Uh, it's called First Fruits. Uh, the day after Passover, uh, there is a counting of the Omer. An Omer was a unit, 2.3 liters of grain. So they would take some green, green wheat, uh, unripened wheat, and present that as an offering. And then they would count the Omer every day until they got to 49 days and the day after that they would have the actual uh, uh, celebration. Uh, so it was 49 days plus one, 50. So Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover is when Jews celebrate this first fruits festival. Uh, so it's, it's the hope of a new, of a new season. Uh, the harvest is coming in, other harvests will follow. It's also, though, a, a celebration um, of the law being given to the people through Moses. So if at Passover, we're celebrating uh, the people's delivery from captivity in Egypt when the angel of death passed over the homes of the uh, Israelites, and there was, there was blood on the, on the lintel and on the sides. Um, then 50 days later, uh, the, the celebration, the history is that let's celebrate the first fruits and celebrate the fact that on this day, Moses received the word of God and the people of God, now liberated from captivity, uh, have committed themselves to serve God now that they have his word, his revelation, his law. So there's a lot packed in there. Uh, that's the context for, past, uh, for Pentecost. So at Pentecost, God poured out his spirit upon 120 people in worship. The context for this is Acts 1.8 when Jesus says, uh, wait and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So the people were in Jerusalem, and here they were worshiping 
at Pentecost on this very festive day anyway, when they're celebrating the fact that it's a celebration of the harvest, uh, first fruits, we are the first fruits of God, and we celebrate these first fruits of the harvest, that God's provision for the people through food, and also we're celebrating the fact that we've been given the Word of God, uh, that we might serve Him wholeheartedly. Well, so Peter uh, preached the gospel to all these onlookers who gathered around because at that point of worship, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. It felt like a roaring wind coming through the room. It looked like tongues of flame over, you know, going out over everybody and touching them. A flame that didn't burn, a wind that didn't move them, but it just the sound of a roaring sound. So that was the experience of hearing the Holy Spirit being poured out in that place. Well, the, the, the human response to this was, were people praising God and in this case, those 120 people, young and old, were praising God, and not only in their own dialect, uh, the local Jewish Hebraic dialect, or possibly in Aramaic, they were using languages from, that represented all the people visiting Jerusalem for the big festival. So you can imagine, as they come out of that place of worship, they're giving loud praise to God, and people walking by, fellow Jews from faraway places, are hearing them proclaim the glory and praise of God in their own tongue talking about having been filled with the Holy Spirit. So these people are saying, what is going on? And so this is where Peter then uh, speaks out to these several thousand people, says, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. The Holy Spirit has been poured poured out on these people. And then he talks about, well, why is this happening? uh, Have you heard of Jesus? Here's what Jesus did to make this possible. Having heard this sermon, the crowd says, what do we do? Uh, Technically, he says, uh, Acts 2, 36 to 39, brothers, what shall we do? They were convicted of their own sin. They were convicted of their own need for Christ. They were, they were smitten. Here they were to worship God, thanking Him for, their, for His provision of them, for their liberation from captivity, for having received the revealed Word of God. And now this, it seems a fulfillment of everything that they were there to celebrate, a fulfillment of everything that they've been hoping for and praying for as faithful people of God. And this is what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And they're in, in Jerusalem. There's a temple here. We can offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. No. It's in Jesus that you'll find the forgiveness of your sins. It's God's provision in Christ that will deliver you from your sins. And Peter goes on to say, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Now this is kind of a loaded term, all who are far off. Uh, Not just other Jews who are dispersed, the diaspora Jews in other places, but for all people in all places, fulfilling Abraham's uh, promise from God to bless all nations through Abraham, putting faith in God. Through you will come a family, through you will come a nation. Through you will come a Savior to bless all nations. So it's a, it's a momentous occasion. Deeply emotional, deeply moving, deeply theological and persuasive. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Well, let me give you some context here. The Holy Spirit has always been at work. Uh, this was not the first time the Holy Spirit has been at work, but this is the first time people have experienced the Holy Spirit in such a personal way, multi-generational. Previously, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Ruach, the, the wind, the Spirit, uh, Ha um, Kodesh, 
the Spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit of God had been uh, anointed certain people for certain tasks under the whole rubric of the holiness, the kodosh of God. And now this kodosh, this holiness, is available to all people through the Holy Spirit. And so uh, ruach kodesh is the, specifically the Holy Spirit. And then this experience of being caught up in the spirit of holiness is ruach kodosh. So don't get hung up on the terms. It's just to say that this, this, this experience of holiness is now for all people entirely contained in God, given to people uh, as necessary, and really that God's holiness has shaped the people's identity. But now the people's identity will be shaped not only through the holiness of God in front of them, above them, around them, but in them. And the, ver- the, the, the Greek version of that in the New Testament is the hagionuma, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Wind. And so Pentecost simply fulfills God's promise to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. This comes out of the uh, prophecy of the prophet Joel. You see this in Joel 2, 28 to 32. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Prophecy, it's uh, both foretelling, uh, this is what's going to happen, heads up, be ready, or forth and or forthtelling, this is what the Word of God means. Here's the implication of God's Word right here, right now. It's on the basis of this prophetic declaration that we, that we um, help people grow in their faith. This is what the Shema of Israel was all about. In, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, the, the imperative, listen up. Heads up, Israel. Shema Israel. Yehovah Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And give these things to your children in all kinds of ways. Deliver these things. Bring them, socialize them into this experience of holiness before Almighty Holy God. And now this holiness is something that can actually reside in us. No longer requires continual sacrifices for our sin in the temple. The once for all sin uh, sacrifice uh, atonement of, of Jesus, atoning for our sins by his sacrifice, has made us clean and brought us into God's presence in relationship with him. And now he's given us his Holy Spirit. We are the first fruits. We are people committed to doing God's will based on his revelation to us in Christ. We see that Jesus' birth and ministry was entirely empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see in Luke one thirty-five. this is part of the uh, Advent celebration, the, the birth of Christ. Mary saying, how will I have this child? And, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. So this is, a, this is the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus. Then when Jesus was baptized by his cousin John, John the baptizer, um, it says, as soon as Jesus, uh, Matthew three sixteen, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased." Oh, I, you know, I just realized I transposed verses. 
the, the first one I read, uh, when the angel says the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, the, the sentence I meant to read was, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then, of course, uh, at the baptism is that phrase that I just read, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So what we see is that this, this triune God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is revealed in Jesus. Is revealed in Jesus. Uh, at the last meal that he had with his disciples, we call this the Last Supper, uh, in John 14, we read this. Jesus is teaching them what will come. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's John 14. He goes on in John 16 to say this, And when he comes, he will prove to the world, uh, prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The sin, the world doesn't really understand the extent of sin, what it really is. They don't quite understand what it means to talk about the righteousness of God, the relational fullness of God. And, and, and the world doesn't really understand what the judgment of God is all about. And so Jesus says, about sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So this is what he's teaching them before he goes to his death on the cross. After the resurrection, he says this to them, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are, are with us at all times, at all places. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that in a moment. So the Spirit of God living in you is your power for living in God. That's the first point of the morning. That was the backdrop for this point. The first point is this. The Spirit of God living in you is your power for living in God. Otherwise, we couldn't do it. We would have just great intentions. Yeah, I want to live for God. Remember God said to the people, be holy as I am holy. Well, that's great, but how? It's beyond our capacity. We're not, we're not capable, of, uh, capable of being hakadosh uh, uh, as God is hakadosh. That's why we need the hakodesh, uh, the, the ruach hakodesh, the Holy Spirit, to empower us to be able to become a kadosh, holy people. So the Spirit of God living in you is your power for living in God, and the Holy Spirit helps us see our life as a gift of God's grace. This new life we have is made possible by God's grace. His grace is sufficient. His absolute grace for our absolute need is sufficient. And so the Holy Spirit creates an aliveness in us that's impossible to contain. Now you might say, well, wait, wait, you, what do you mean we, you, you cannot contain isn't it possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, to hurt the Holy Spirit, to, to suppress the Holy Spirit? Uh, yes, exactly. We're, we have agency. We, we make decisions. We have volition. We can make choices. But the Spirit of God creates an aliveness in us that unless we resist it, is impossible to contain. That means that it's not me just having to try harder. It's that the Spirit of God in me, as I cooperate with the Spirit of God, I have everything I need to walk in God's holiness. Now, not just around me 
and before me and above me, but in me by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk with God, empowers us to love God, empowers us to love people, empowers us to learn to love ourselves. The Holy Spirit develops a spiritual quality in us, fruit of the Spirit, uh, fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are called fruit of the Spirit. Why? They're qualities that, that God Himself through His Holy Spirit develops in us. And then God gives us gifts as well. Uh, teaching, preaching, uh, prophecy, uh, gifts of compassion, uh, gifts of wisdom and helps, gifts of discernment, etc., gifts of hospitality. Now, all those qualities a person can express, anybody can be hospitable, but certain people have a, have a particularly uh, a prominent gift of hospitality or prophecy or teaching or preaching. And what are these about? Well, the fruit of the Spirit reveal our character, who we are in Christ. And, and these gifts of the Spirit allow us to provide what the body of Christ needs as we exercise these gifts. So the, the, the character traits, the fruit of the Spirit, and are part of God's empowering of us to use wisely these other gifts he gives us to build up the body. For what purpose? So that the body can do its work. That the family of God, the body of Christ, can bless the nations. Powerful. This is all out of the Holy Spirit living in you so that you have power for living in God. And so we see that the Holy Spirit brings us an inexhaustible source of spiritual life. Well, I get exhausted. It runs out. I get flat. I get weary. I get dry. I get discouraged. I get distracted. Yes, exactly. But it's the Holy Spirit that keeps refilling us and refreshing us. There is one baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Christ, when you accept and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So anybody who becomes a believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's very quiet. Sometimes it's an ecstatic experience. Sometimes it's laughter. Sometimes it's tears. Sometimes massive sense of, of relief. Sometimes an incredible sense of, of, of quiet reverence. But the Holy Spirit goes on refilling us and refilling us and refilling us. And so sometimes a person who's been a believer for a very long time will have a profound experience of the Holy Spirit, which will lead them to say, perhaps, I have finally been filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, no, the Holy Spirit has been resident in you, but you've had an experience of the Holy Spirit that is renewing you and reviving you. It's like, did you eat yesterday? Did you drink something yesterday? Right. Then why are you eating and drinking today? Well, I'm hungry and thirsty. Right. Do you think you might be eating and drinking tomorrow? Yes, I'll be, I'll be hungry and thirsty again. So it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues to fill us. As we grow and mature, our capacity for the Holy Spirit increases. It's, it fills us. A two-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But as, as their capacity increases, so their experience of the Holy Spirit might be increasing as well, right? It goes without saying. The deep wisdom and reference that comes with walking with Christ for a lifetime. Or the shallowness because we've been disregarding the Spirit. So it's not chronological age, but it's the normal development spiritually in a person who's walking chronologically over a long period of time with God. Our capacity for receiving and giving love increases. That's at least how it's supposed to work. Now we can, again, uh, resist that, fuse that, we can suppress that, but that's not what we're created for and that's not what we're saved for. The idea isn't to, to, to get yourself all, all hyped up and psyched up 
and to pretend you have this. No, it's just to say, Lord, when I'm depleted, fill me. Lord, when I'm hard-hearted, soften me. Uh, restore the joy to my salvation. Refill me, renew me through your Holy Spirit. This is the ongoing experience that all of us have access to because the Holy Spirit has come. Now, God's Spirit works signs and wonders along the way through His people. The number one sign and wonder is love. This is why Jesus said, and they'll know you are my disciples by your love. Love is what it's about. If there's no love, uh, any other signs and wonders are sort of irrelevant. But where there is love, where the love of Christ is engaging us, uh, we shouldn't be surprised that signs and wonders uh, are also part of that. Uh, there are words and works that glorify God and bless people. Things like prophecy, visions, healing, supernatural insights, dreams, interventions. We should never dismiss or disparage these things. Nor should we assume that we understand what they mean. If you have a dream, if you have an insight, if you have a, a sense of, uh, I think the Holy Spirit is, is inspiring me or nudging me to say something, to do something, be sure that you've worked that through the Word of God. Uh, does this glorify God? Does this square with His Word? Does this bless people? Not make them happy or make them like you, but does this truly bless people according to God's word? And so let's embrace and receive these signs and wonders that God does in us and through us. But know that ultimately the, the, the most important sign of wonder is love. Uh, that's what, that, that bears the mark, the fingerprints of God in our lives. And so we should encourage these and expect these other kinds of expressions as normative. We need to be open to the variety of ways the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. Again, sometimes it's loud. Other times it's very quiet. You might be in the presence of someone who's experienced a sign and a wonder, and they're like this. Or they're like this. It all counts. It's all okay. The point is, we want to avoid spiritual counterfeits. Spiritual counterfeits. Outward signs that don't bear an inward reality. That's how we know when God is glorified and people are blessed. We have a deep sense of reverence for God and, and a love for God. That's a confirmation uh, that these signs and wonders uh, are from God. And so we learn to be discerning and wise in distinguishing from spiritual counterfeits. Uh, Jesus talks about this. He says, you know, at the end of time, people come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And he's going to say, I, go away from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. Signs and wonders are great, but unless they're rooted in the person of God, the Spirit of God, they're just human efforts to control and to take from God uh, what is rightfully His, to manipulate and exploit people through what isn't really um, their authority to use to manipulate and exploit people. Genuine works of the Holy Spirit always, always honor God, glorify God, bless people. There's always a positive social impact. Even when people are martyred for their faith, uh, there's, there's a positive impact that comes out of that. We should never seek martyrdom. But we should never avoid it. We should never uh, discount our faith in Christ. We should never disparage the name of Christ. If we're asked to confess our faith in Christ, we should do it. But if it costs us our life, it costs us our life. At the same time, we shouldn't be reckless with our lives. Again, there's no glory. There's no honor in just dying. If we, if, we, if we end up dying for Christ, that's a different thing. But dying for Christ isn't another way of saying, look how much I love you. No. We love him so much, we live for him. 
And if he chooses to, to allow us to die, we trust him in that. So that was the first point, long point. The Spirit of God living in you is your power for living in God. The next two points are shorter and necessarily follow that first point. So point two, how do we practically live and walk in the Spirit? I'll make this brief. First of all, by trusting that God's with us even when we can't see Him or feel Him. Trusting that God is with us through His Holy Spirit even though we can't see Him or feel Him. Walking in the Spirit does not mean that you will always feel spiritual. You might feel spiritual, but you might not. How we feel changes day to day. Feelings are so important, so integral to who we are. But feelings uh, aren't the most important thing. Our faith is in who Jesus is, what Jesus does, not in how we feel. And as we focus on Him, and we're faithful to Him, our feelings will most often reflect that. We'll know how to grieve properly. We'll know how to lament properly. We'll know how to celebrate uh, properly. You get what I'm saying? You'll have a chance to express who you are fully emotionally. All those uh, arrays of emotions come into play, but they're all under the authority and the sovereignty of God himself through his Holy Spirit. And so by focusing on Christ daily through his word and prayer, we, we have a mind for Christ, which requires having our minds on Christ, right? So trusting in God, even when we don't feel spiritual, and having our minds on Christ through his word, through prayer, through these various spiritual disciplines, uh, worship, a fellowship, that allow us to have a right mind for Christ so that we have discernment and wisdom uh, about trusting God. And finally, by embracing the Spirit as a normative means for living fully in Christ. We say, you know, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that makes all this possible. You don't have to necessarily understand it. I certainly don't. Or explain it. I can't explain it very well. But I experienced it, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. And therefore, I proclaim it, and I teach it. By God's grace, I demonstrate it. How do we practically live and walk in the Spirit, trusting God, focusing on Him, and embracing His Spirit? And the final third point is this. What are the practical results of God's Spirit living in us? Well, we possess practical knowledge regarding God's kingdom in this world. We become smarter about God. Not just smarter and filled with knowledge, but wiser about God's ways in the world. We become relationally and emotionally more intelligent and more mature. Our EQ tends to develop as we submit ourselves to one another out of our common reverence for Christ and learn how to live with each other. And as we seek uh, the wisdom of God through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit heals us from our selfishness, our hard-heartedness, our absolute crazy stupidity when it comes to rationalizing things that hurt people. We learn to respond to human brokenness and confront evil with wisdom and courage. The Holy Spirit moves us in that direction. Gives us the capacity not just to signal virtue, but to actually be virtuous. To not pretend that we're sinless, but those sinners, we still can express the salvation of, of God's grace in us by caring for other people in His name. We don't use these works of compassion to make ourselves look great. Uh, we use these works of compassion to bless people because God is great. Uh, we discover our purpose and mission in life and prioritize our life accordingly. We realize it's a larger mission than just getting through the day, caring for ourselves, entertaining ourselves. We find that living full in Him is enjoying Him. It comes with roles and responsibilities that allow us to express our fullest personhood. 
through receiving love and giving love, receiving compassion and giving compassion. Again, the fruit of the Spirit and these gifts of the Spirit come to the fore as, as gifts that we receive from others and, and gifts and gestures that we extend to others as well. And so ultimately, we end up proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating our faith through the way we use our time and our talent, our treasure, our networks, our connections. So those are practical results of God's Spirit living in us that come from practically living and walking in the Spirit. They're a result of the Spirit of God living in us so that we have power for living in God. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Oh, so does this describe you? Does this describe you? I'm not saying are you perfect, but just, just, does this kind of behavior and this kind of belief describe you? If not, it's possible that you are quenching the Spirit. You're ignoring the very presence of the Holy Spirit in you. You're suppressing the Spirit by disobedience, disregard, lack of faith, hard-heartedness, fear. I don't know what else. But it's possible for us to grieve the Spirit, to quench the Spirit by not responding to the Spirit. Does this describe you? If so, it's a simple fix. Confess your need for God. Confess your absolute need for God's absolute grace. Receive the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Say, Lord, restore the joy to my salvation through your Spirit reviving me. So confess your sin, repent of your sin. Give God gratitude and praise for the fact that you belong to Him and you have His Spirit in Him. Literally, it's opening your heart, your hands, your head, your eyes, opening your very life uh, to the living God, saying, Lord, if this is true, and I believe it is, may this day be a new Pentecost for me. May every day be a version of Pentecost for me. The God who is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, not one God wearing three masks, not one God and no Jesus and Holy Spirit, but the fullness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, alive and at work in you. is What we're celebrating on this day we call Pentecost. So I'd like to pray for you. Pray for me uh, that we would be renewed and refreshed and unified as his people. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word that has shown us who you are. You've revealed to us through your word, through the holy prophets, through Jesus' ministry, through the people who have responded to that word and have served you faithfully. We thank you for all the ways you reveal to us what it means to know you and walk with you, to be filled with your spirit, to be healed, to be equipped to serve others that they may be healed. Lord, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, empower us to confess our sins, to repent of them, to turn towards you, to stop denying or blaming or scapegoating others, to stop doing things that we know hurts people, bums them out, to forgive those who are hurting us and bumming us out. To be reconciled to you and to people where possible. We pray, Lord, for a new sense of purpose and mission because your Holy Spirit is enlivening us to your mission and your work in the world. Lord, I pray this for not only me and my family, my friends, for, for this beloved church, La Jolla Community Church. I pray this for every church in, in our community. I pray this for every church across the state and the country and around the world, that your church would be revived and renewed by your Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. It would cause us to sing your praises, that the world would stop and say, what is going on? And then as we explain it, they would say, what shall we do? And we'll invite them to join the party be part of this parade, to be part of this holy community made possible by you. So for that, we give you honor and glory and praise.
thanking you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you that you might reflect his glory wherever you go. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk by his spirit in newness and fullness of life every day, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.